And he says that the grace of God causes us to be changed. Now, the word changed, or you could even put the word different, God's grace causes us to be different. It causes us this change in our life. He starts off by saying, put on, therefore. This phrase of putting on is that which is to put on clothes or to cover. It is a fresh batch. It is something of newness. And this is a new man in Christ will be covered with these things that he will speak about, that he will write about. And so as a follower of Christ, we are covered, we have been changed, we put on this, what he's getting ready to explain. And then Paul is going to quickly address that we know and understand who this has been written to and what this can be or who this can be expected of. He says, put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. The audience is the church at Colossae. Today, the reader, the believer, those who are the chosen of God, the, those who are the elect. And we study this thought all throughout our Bible, and we get this better understanding that it is clearly taught of those who have been drawn to God and have been chosen by God. Ephesians chapter 1 According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Paul again is writing to Christians at the church at Ephesus that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. 2 Timothy 1.9, Paul wrote to Timothy, who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Paul expressed his confidence that God had chosen the Thessalonian believers at the church at Thessalonica and he said in his first letter to them, Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election, your chosen of God. His second letter he wrote, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Believers' names have been written in the book of life before the foundation of the world. Revelation 13, 8. Revelation 17, 8. Jesus said with his own words in John 6, 44, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at that last day. So this miracle of divine election did not depend on anything that you and I could do but solely that God has chosen us to Christ. If God said that all of this centers on the basis of our merit, on the basis of our good works, nobody in this room would be saved. It doesn't matter how good you think you are or how moral and good you truly are. Based on your own efforts and your own works, you could not achieve that salvation that was given by Jesus Christ and His grace. And so we all with like minds and like hearts can shout with celebration for the very fact that God chose us, that we are a chosen people, and that we stand in awe and amazed by the extension of His love and grace to us. Where would you be today had it, been, had it not been for grace? Who would you be today 
When you, we'd like to think that within ourselves that we would be a pretty good, decent, and moral individual. And though the world around us is surrounded by unsaved good people, their good works gets them nothing for their eternal security in Jesus Christ. So let's not let this truth of God's divine election and chosen distract us away from the very fact that you and I are still called and commissioned to share the gospel message with whoever we see. We must stand as a herald and as a messenger of the truth and the love of Jesus Christ. We cannot back away from that. We cannot think for one moment that it'll all just come to place or all will happen. For God has clearly said for his church to stand as the voice of reason, for the voice to be clearly heard of the Jesus, the message that Jesus died for our sins that he was buried as clear evidence of his death, and he was buried in that tomb. And then just as he said, he came back to life with victory over sin and death. That's the message of hope that we must be sharing. When was the last time you shared that message with someone? When was the last time you prayed that God would allow you as a herald and messenger to break down barriers, build relationship, and plant gospel seeds with the hope and prayer that God would draw them to himself and save their soul for all eternity? See, yesterday afternoon I had a conversation with the waiter at Abuelos, and Natalie was out of town, and and uh, Bailey in Brooklyn and I went to Abuelos for lunch. And by the way, if somebody paid for our ticket yesterday, if you were at Abuelos, I want to thank you for covering our ticket. We went to pay and the lady said, somebody else paid for your ticket. I said, well, who was that? She said, I don't know, it was somebody else's table. So thank you if you're here. I'll let you know where we're headed for lunch today and you can come and be a part of the blessing there, okay? But as I was sitting there, Sergio walked up. He had a track in his hand. He said, who's this guy right here on the back? And Sergio and I have gone back and forth for years now. And somebody had given him a Highlands track. He showed me the ugly mug. I said, oh, that's me. I said, well, there's Beauty and the Beast. There's Natalie, and then there's me. And I said, well, who gave that to you? He said, oh, I don't know. Somebody gave it to me weeks ago. I said, oh, that's neat. And I said, well, actually, really, I've got something new for you. It's Parkway. Take this. I said, I know you work every Sunday, but maybe you and I can get together sometime. He said, well, I'll be honest with you. I'll, I'll keep all of these things in my folder. Thank you for this. He said, but I'm, I'm Catholic. I said, oh, really? I said, well, what does that mean for you? He's like, oh, well, I'm, a, I'm doing okay. You know, I'm not going to be able to come to church, but I'll be all right. And I said, well, let me ask you something, Sergio. Apart from your following, your religion, do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Ah, oh. he kind of took back a little bit and kind of gave us some thought, almost as if he had never been asked that question, almost as if this was something really confusing, a personal relationship with Jesus. He said, well, honestly, you know, I think I'm going to be fine. I think I'm okay. And, I, you know, I say my prayers and I've got good family. And I said, okay, well, let me ask it this way. If you die today, though it'll be sad and tragic, if you were to die today, do you know if you would go to heaven? With an even more confused look on his face, he said, well, you know, honestly, I'm, I'm a really good family man. I've got a good family. I married into the church, and I'm a good husband and a good dad. And, you know, I think when it's all said and done, I, I think I'm going to be okay. I said, well, Sergio, I said, that's, you know, you think that, but would you be willing to sit down with me sometime that I could show you from the Bible how you can know that you could go to heaven? Well, yeah, maybe someday, maybe sometime we can get together. So there's an individual 
who is living in some false peace each and every day because he thinks that as being a good dad, a good husband, marrying into the church, that when life is all done here on earth, everything will be fine and it'll weigh out in his benefit in the end. Would you pray for Sergio? And would you begin to pray for your own stories? My prayer now is that God would continue to break down barriers. He and I have been able to break barriers for quite a long time now. As There's been times when he's been our waiter. Other times when we're sitting at another table, he'll come by with conversation. But now it's time for us to build relationship and plant gospel seeds. It's not that I walk away thinking, well, maybe so. Maybe it'll happen for Sergio. It says, Lord, you've called and commissioned me to be that herald, to be that voice, to be that message, and to be that extension of Jesus' love to pray and to minister to that dear soul. We all must be living that way. And then we find here that he says to the elect, to those who are holy, striving for holiness and who are beloved of God, here is what is new in your life. It is a new way of living. You're going to have bowels of mercy. And this is a heart of compassion. The heart, which is the seat of our emotions, it's, it's being moved to extend mercy and compassion to others. We're being aware of people around us and we're exhibit, exhibiting a genuine heart of compassion. Not a facade, not a, a fake function of love and compassion, but that would truly be our genuine motive, compassion toward others. Then he says also this kindness, this is the extension of grace that saturates the whole person. It is a, a spirit about us that is calming. It is, is one that is not harsh and rude and contentious. It is, it is kind toward others. There's humility. Humility of mind, this is the cure for self-love that poisons relationships. Self-love will poison any marriage. Self-love will poison any relationship within the home, within the workplace, within the neighborhood, within anybody that we interact with. If we always look at our own rights and how they have offended me and how they have crossed me, when we're only looking at self-love, we won't have this true spirit of humility. And then there's meekness. When you see the word meekness, think of the word for gentleness. This gentle spirit, it best describes the attribute that is willing to suffer for someone else's sake. It's saying that I will endure the, the emotional harm, the mental difficulties, or I will go through this physical pain because of this meekness. It's not a weakness. It is your strength that is under control. It is the willingness to say that I am going to choose to be gentle in this situation. We must understand that we are sinner among sinners. And that we must sometimes have to suffer the burdens of other people's bad and poor choices. Many of you have been there before. Some of you are there today. Suffering through what other people have chosen to do. And you sit in pain and agony. But with all humility you approach this with meekness. A spirit of gentleness in conversation about that individual in your reactions to that individual and to how you will move forward in life in spite of that individual. Then there's this word of long-suffering. We know that is to be patient. 
A patient person doesn't get angry at people, isn't flustered when things don't happen the way they want or, or how they thought it should be. And this is a, a controlled individual who is patient and not self-centered. All of these changes help Christians to live in harmony with one another. And by the way, verse 12 is not multiple choice. Don't go through and circle the ones that are natural to you and X out the ones that are too hard to accomplish. If you want to show me a church attender who doesn't exhibit kindness, compassion, humility, meekness, and patience, all you're showing me is a church member, not a life that has been converted and changed by the work of Jesus Christ. I'm convinced that there are many people all across this world who sit in their padded pews and they go through their religious rituals and they have been so faithful and dogmatic with it for all of their life but they have no kindness out of them. They have no compassion. They can't handle conversation with anybody without sarcasm and contention. And when I study my scriptures from God's word, I clearly don't see that those being attributes or evidence of a life that has been changed by Jesus Christ. And so we must have the fruit of the Spirit. It is not multiple choices. It is not pick this one and do away with that one. It is grabbing a hold of them and saying, God, as difficult as it is for me to be kind and compassionate and to be patient and to be loving, I need to be equipped with that. And so chisel away at me, work at me, humble me, do what it takes to cause me to be like that. Why does the church find so much contention? because sometimes it's being fueled by people who are not genuinely saved and redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. That's a hard pill to swallow, and it's a very difficult thing to say. But I think it's truth. In verse 13 and 14, he continues on by saying, you're a new person, you're a new creation. You have been transformed from the old to the new. And not only are you striving to be holy, not only are you beloved, not only are you compassionate and kind and humbled, not only are you meek and gentle, and not only are you patient, but he says the forgiveness of God now causes us to forgive and to love. He starts off by saying forbearing one another. This means to endure, to hold back. It is a pursuit of peace at all cost. It is being a peacemaker as the beatitude of the Sermon on the Mount teaches us. Another thing yet that too many Christians are saying, it's not my, my personality. It's not my instinct to be a peacemaker. Forgiving one another, he says. Forbearing, holding back, pursuing peace. And then forgiving one another. Christ is the model of forgiveness. We know that. And as he exhibited that time and time and time again during his earthly ministry and still while he was suffering on the cross, he modeled forgiveness. Ken Sandy wrote this. It's a wonderful quote. Christians are the most forgiven people in the world. Therefore, we should be the most forgiving people in the world. Isn't that good? Christians are the most forgiven people in the world. Therefore, we should be the most forgiving people in the world. Forgiveness, as we studied last week, it's, it's not a feeling. 
It's not an emotion. It's not forgetting. It's not excusing, but it is a choice and it is a decision that we make. So forgive, to forgive, is to grant this uh, feeling of unconditional love, uh, uh, and to, to unconditionally uh, go toward the offender that says, I, I free you from this guilt. You know what that's like? Because we have been given that by God, an unconditional favor, an unconditional forgiveness, an unearned merit. And, and then you think about how sometimes we issue forgiveness. So we'll say to our spouse, I forgive you if you will exhibit A, B, and C eventually. Why? Because we want to hold on to our pain and we want to entrap them into the debtor's prison because if they're not really completely changed or repentant, we want to be able to throw them back in so quickly. We say, well, I just don't want to be hurt over and over and over and over again. And so we'll use that as our excuse. But where do you find that in the Bible? Because you remember what Jesus told Peter 70 times 7, and it was not an amount of 490 to cross off, well, you're at 439, or you're at 450, or you're at 480. No. Jesus was using that expression to say endlessly, endlessly forgive. So if I'm learning here that this, un- so even with my children, I'm not going to say, well, honey, I, I think you're sorry, but I- I'll have to wait and see. Because if you do A, B, and C, then I'll, daddy will know that you're really sorry and that you're not going to do this again. Or if you're really sorry, you will not do that again in this house. Have you ever said that? Have you ever heard that? So here, this true forgiving of others is unconditional. It has no restriction to it. Jesus is that prime example. And this is undeserved and, and it cannot be earned So all of these new ways of living that that Paul is writing about, it is all held together with what we call the superglue of love. As he continues by saying that we're forbearing and we're forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel, a complaint against any, we forgive them even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And then he says, above all of these things, put on charity. By the way, If we're genuinely loving God, we're going to love people. And if we're genuinely loving God and loving people, then we're going to easily exhibit all of these changes in our life. Because they're all held together by genuine love. I can stand and say, oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. I can look at you in the eyes and say, I love you. I may not like you, but I can say, I love you. And we realize that we can go through those motions. But if I don't genuinely love God and genuinely love people, I'm not going to find it in my heart to be kind and compassionate and patient and humbled. I'm not going to find it in me to forgive other people or to hold back and be a peacemaker. I met a lady on, um, on Friday, Friday afternoon. I was flying out of Louisville back home to Orlando. And I had a conversation with a lady who overheard my conversation with Scott Smith as I was on the phone. We were talking about this morning service and the message on forgiveness. And uh, after I got off the phone, she asked me, are you, know, are you a pastor? Uh, yeah, a pastor in uh, Lakeland, Florida. 
I said, are you a follower of Jesus? Yes. I said, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? I do. It's like, wow, that's incredible. That's, that's really neat. And this is a lady that, as I was sipping on my coffee, talking on my phone, she was so kindly to be uh, polishing my shoes. I had been wearing all week and had been walking, I think, about 20 miles back and forth from hotel to convention center. And so my, root, my shoes were filthy. They were rough. And so she has that service there. And so we were having a conversation. And I thought, well, if I get a really long conversation with her, then she's going to take a long time polishing my shoes. They'll look even shinier than normal. Uh, I didn't really think that. I do now. But... <laughs> Because they were super shiny. But as we're having the conversation, she was asking me about the topic of forgiveness. And so we interacted a little bit with it. And, and I said to her, I said, well, what's, what's your story? I said, when did you trust Christ as your Savior? She said, well, I was a, when I was a teenager, I got saved. And boy, my life has been changed ever since. She said, but I, I had a hard time for a period in, in my life. She said, I'll never forget as a young adult, my father looked me in the eyes and he said to me, I wish you weren't even alive. She said it hurt. I, I, she said, I couldn't believe he said that to me. And I, I carried that for so many years. I, I couldn't look him in the eyes. I, I didn't want to be around him. I didn't want him to live. And then she said, I finally came to the point several decades later. And she said this, I was tired of holding on to it. And she says, I went to him and I apologized for holding a grudge against him. And then I told him that I forgave him for what he said to me. So did he remember? He didn't. He didn't remember that he had even said something so painful and hurtful toward her. It was something he said probably in a fit of anger, in a fit of carnality, in a, in a fit of, of an unregenerate heart, probably. But she held on to that, kept him in a debtor's prison until she finally came to that place. And she told me this. She apologized to her dad for holding a grudge. She forgave him, and she said, Now I know what it means to be forgiven and how to forgive others. She said, I was freed from that bondage. I was amazed. I mean, we had illustrations last week of people who have had to forgive after decades. But for me to be face to face with a real, genuine individual who had gone through so much and held on to so much. And I'm looking at an audience today and you have your story. And you have your instance that happened in your life. And it may have been 10 days ago, 10 years ago. It could have been 50 years ago. But whatever the story is that you're holding on to, look at the change that has happened in your life. God has forgiven you. So therefore, forbear one another, hold back, extend being a peacemaker, and be willing to forgive. And then look what happens. Verse number 15. The peace of God causes us to be thankful. The peace of God causes us to be thankful. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which also you are called in one body. And be thankful. 
In these verses, Paul changes the discussion from character to conduct. We have talked about what we are because of Jesus Christ. We have this new way of living, a new way of putting on and putting off, and now we're putting it into motion. We all want this peace of God ruling our hearts. And the word rule there in their day would have been that of an umpire ruling a sporting or an athletic event, giving the end result. And we let the peace of God give the end result to our situation. That everything that is in us live peaceably with all men. So that we say this peace of God is going to be the end result. It is going to be the umpire. It is going to be the deciding factor at the end of my situation. When the peace of God rules in our hearts, it helps govern our decision making. It helps us to react to people in situations. It, it's how we interact with people. It's how we submit to God's leading in our life through the Holy Spirit's work. It's how we apologize to people. It's how we extend forgiveness to people. And that peace brings about a thankful heart. Some of you are sitting here today with a peaceful, thankful heart. Because you have allowed the peace of God to rule your life. Have there been contention? Sure, plenty. Have there been opportunities for bitterness? Probably innumerable. But you have dealt with it in such a way that says, I will only have God's peace rule my heart, not the meditations of those things which are negative. So the peace that brings about a thankful heart of the people that the Lord will build his church with. God will not build his church with people who are discontent. God will not build his church with people who are bitter. The church will crumble quickly when there is discontention and disunity among the body. So we must be governed by God's peace. We must learn to get along. We must understand that we'll have disagreements and the disagreements will be plenty. And the disagreements will be minor and hopefully not very major. But in the midst of all those minor disagreements, we let the peace of God rule us. We love on each other and we forgive each other. And we move forward for the main mission for the gospel to be lived out to the glory of God. So let's get over ourselves. And let's quit making church all about us, me as an individual. And then the end result in verse 16 is that the word of God causes us to be transformed. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The power of the word of God sharper than any two-edged sword. It works within our hearts. That's the power of the word of God transforming our lives. The false teachers came to Colossae with man-made traditions. They had religious rules and human philosophies, and they tried to harmonize God's word with their teachings but they could not succeed. God's word always magnifies Jesus Christ. That was one of the things, and I'll tell more about it tonight, that I loved about the conference that I was a part of. It was not about people standing on their soapbox or their platform, killing everybody else around there trying to do religion or, or everything that we follow within our Christian circles. It was all about a speaker digging into the power of God's word and allowing the scriptures to transform the hearer's heart. So the word of God is what causes that. The tasks that Paul described in Colossians 1.28, the same in verse number 16, are for the whole church. It is teaching and admonishing one another. 
in the mutual forgiveness and trust of verses 12 through 15. Look what 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. That teaching and admonishing is for the whole church that we should play a part in. Teaching and admonishing what? The verse says, the, let the word of Christ, the gospel, the word by which you have been called, let that be your message. What are the conversations that you're having with each other? What is it that the church is discussing and talking about? Does it come back to personal preferences or does it come back to the word of Christ, the gospel message? Does it come back to that power with our commitment as a member of Parkway Baptist Church? We have made a commitment together to play a part in teaching and admonishing other people. Not complaining about one another. Christians are good at that. But not us. Parkway Baptist Church is going to teach and admonish one another. And so not in the spirit of, boy, I have a thing or two to tell you nor with the attitude of this is how we have always done it, but rather the teaching and admonishing comes from the Scriptures, from the Word of God. And when you have a complaint about something, and you know some of us do from time to time, that just happens, then make it about the Bible and not personal preferences. And I will commit to doing the same thing as your pastor. You see, let's partner together to bring the church body to a, a greater place of sanctification, of holiness a place where we pursue purity within the church, a place where we're not going to allow the false teachings to permeate within us, that we will squelch any rebellion towards God, any direction that goes in the opposite way of God's way. And so we partner together. I exhort to the younger generations, let's not balk what doesn't seem comfortable to us. Because God's church has been healthy and effective for many decades before you showed up on the scene. That's just truth and reality. And to the older generations, please don't balk what doesn't seem comfortable to you. I promise you, you are among friends and brethren. And I can honestly say that the ultimate goal is for God to be glorified and the church to remain pure and effective for God's glory. Parkway shall not waver from the word of God as it is the source that brings true transformation. I love the way in which we teach through the church. He says to do it in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. This helps us to see a variety of songs used in Christian worship, probably including the Old Testament psalms which they would have sang together. At the conference this week, 12,000 voices opened the conference by standing and singing, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. I remember songs that we sang throughout the conference that some we would consider old hymns of the faith. A song we sang and together was in Christ alone, a song that we would call a newer hymn for today. We sang songs written in 2017 and songs from the late 1800s, all which were done so well that they blessed your heart, gave you goosebumps, and ministered to your soul in teaching and admonishing. And that is what we strive to do at Parkland or Parkway. The common bond of the music that we sang at, was the gospel, God's word, 
It was rich and true in doctrine. It was not hokey, not flippant, not always old, and not always new. But it was reverent, it was worshipful, and it was meaningful. Now, in a text like this today, with the message that we have encountered, it's important for us to see the incredible truths that surround the forgiving of others. God's grace, His forgiveness to us, a genuine love for others, the peace of God, a thankful, clean heart, the Word of God that transforms our life and therefore causes a pure worship to Him and encourages others. All surrounding the thought of forbearing one another and forgiving. Look at verse 17 in closing. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. When we come to the end of this message, we realize that there's been a lot of content to hear and to digest. There's been some things that honestly I probably have stepped out on a little bit of an edge to say today, but it was what God directed me in preparation for the message. But today as the hearers of God's word, I would ask for all of us to respond as verse 17, so that whatever we do in word or deed, The things that we say are talk and our walk so that every part of that would be done in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Always remember, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. A new way of living. I hope you've embraced it and I hope that you're living it. Father, thank you for clear direction from Colossians 3. And the teaching that Paul gave as a preemptive decree to beware, to be aware of what could happen. And so now as the church, we stand responsible for what we've heard. And so help us to make choices that would be changing in our life, striving to be more like you. Father, if there's somebody here that doesn't know the gospel message of Jesus' love dying on the cross, coming back to life with victory and extending that gift of salvation by grace alone, may they take that step of faith today. May they take that step that says, I believe. I want Jesus as my Savior. I'm done with my sin. I free myself from that bondage. I want a new relationship in Jesus Christ. So, Father, use these moments now for application into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.